My New Year's resolution is not to stop doing that. That's, you know, it's not really a resolution when it's what you're already doing. That's not true. There's no rules it about was the New same Year's resolution. Year. <laughs> it's contingency. Well, you um, you succeeded in it last year, Woo-hoo! so here we are. Uh, this is a New Year edition of Thinking Like a Lawyer. I'm Joe Patrice from Above the Law. I'm joined by fellow Above the Lawians. Sure, uh, Catherine, I'll allow it. Catherine Rubino and Chris Williams. How is everybody doing in our segment called Small Talk? Pretty good. Pretty okay. good. New year, same me, but I'm pretty happy with that. Mm, okay, that's cool. Uh, you know, I, f- I feel like uh, I feel like self-discovery and like self-acceptance is the real outcome that you should search for with like New Year's resolutions. So once you mm-hmm. get where you're happy, just stay there, which is to say keep interrupting Joe. I'm a fan. Mm-hmm. You're obviously on the same wavelength as I am, and mm. here we are. <laughs> now, now, question: Did y'all see any um, like cut hair for watch chain uh, gifts between your friends and family? I don't know what that is. Yeah, none of that. You made a bu- you said a bunch of words that I, I understand I was, individually, but as a sentence, really are confusing. Now you see what it's like when I hear Joe. That was clearly a gift of the Magi <laughs> reference. You know, there was a woman. Oh, she has beautiful yeah, hair. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, she cuts I've it also off. seen yeah. Christmas Eve on Sesame Street, so I'm familiar with the gift of the Magi. But right, uh, uh, okay. Anyway, um, has that happened? No, no, no. Good, because <laughs> I feel like that's one of the like that's one of those one of those stories that gets read as romantic. Where I'm like, oh, we need wealth distribution. <laughs> Yeah. Um, See, in the Christmas Eve on Sesame Street version, Bert and Ernie each sell to Mr. Hooper their prized possession in order to get someone for something for the other's prized possession. And then on Christmas Eve, Mr. Hooper comes and gives them back their gifts that they sold to him. So it actually has a happy ending. So that is the that is the version I prefer to use. It's probably the better one. Yeah. And also, you know, love Mr. Hooper. Yeah, it's a little less ironic than the O. Henry original. It is up until the happy ending. Okay. It's like irony, 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 aw, happy ending. Mm. So, we know, more I, like- it, I think you meant, you meant irony, 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 oh, Ernie. <laughs> it's a little more Alanis Morissette irony than O. Henry Again, irony. it's not. Like, it, <laughs> it was ironic. Like, Ernie sold his rubber ducky. Bert sold his paperclip collection. Got, you know, something for the other one's prized possession. But mm-hmm. then Mr. Hooper was like, my gift to both of you mm-hmm. is that. And then they, they're sad because they didn't get anything from Mr. Hooper. But he's like, just seeing your friendship is a gift enough for me. Right. That's that's Aww. very poignant. Yeah. I think that's oh. the appropriate amount of irony for like a child too. Fair enough. So with that said, uh, I think I think we're probably at the end of small Stop. talk unless anybody else has something. Closing off that segment. Now, uh, what are we talking about today? There's a lot of big law firms doing a lot of things. Yeah. So we're at the, <laughs> we're, I think this is a, well, so we'll structure this by talking about the bonus side first and then move to the other. So we're tracking, you know, big law bonus season. We've already talked about that a bit. What we also found out is that there's a bit of a big law, the week between Christmas and New Year's screwing people over season. Mm-hmm. 
So during that week when, you know, people aren't necessarily paying attention and everybody's not glued to the legal news, we started getting reports of law firms that were, shall we say, trying to uh, nickel and dime a bit. It's it's like hundreds and thousands, yeah. you know, but but yes, for sure, uh, we're definitely seeing. And and is this a state a question about what's going on in big law generally? Is it just because people anticipate a recession in 2023? Is it bigger problems than just a one year off issue? Who's to say? But we're definitely seeing people thinking they're getting their full market bonus. And then well- that's why this first started coming up. So we'll we'll, we'll focus on one firm first, uh, then talk about the other. So we started hearing that Sherman and Sterling had told people that they would be getting market bonuses, you know, the good news. That happened earlier in the month. They also, though, at that time, from what we hear, introduced an hours requirement for getting their bonus. Uh, they have never really had one before, or if they did, it was not uh, at this level. I can't remember the details. Point is, there was a new hours requirement coming in for the next year. Then what we started hearing is that associates were hearing individually, mostly during the week that no one was around, to cover, they started hearing that they weren't getting bonuses. There are a lot of different reports. We have multiple tipsters across multiple departments and offices talking about this, and they all there, there's a few discrepancies, though from what we gather, the discrepancies may be explained by the fact that it sounds as though Sherman was leaving it to some degree of discretion between the offices and departments as to how they handled it. Mm-hmm. So some people started reporting that the hours requirement, which was supposed to take place next year, was being retroactively applied, and they were being told they didn't meet this year the hours that were not a standard this year, but will be next year, and therefore they don't get this year's bonus, uh, which is kind of awful. Put a pin in that one. But we also started hearing some folks saying that they just weren't getting bonuses regardless of what their hours were, which was, you know, uh, even worse. So that's what we've started hearing. Uh, we don't necessarily know all the the fallout of it yet. It's still ongoing and developing. Uh, so I guess the first question is, what does this tell us, uh, which is what you kind of teed up? Yeah, I, I mean, great question. The other thing to note, I think, that's relevant for this firm's story is that there's rumors that they're looking at a merger, right? right? That they're looking to merge with Hogan Lovells, I believe. And so obviously that's a top, super top of the rankings firm. Ster- uh, Sherman and Sterling is a little bit lower how is that going to be impacted going forward? Is this part of the reason why they're looking for a partner? Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, I think that it definitely puts into kind of a more uh, stark relief the whole question of whether or not there'll be a merger as well. Yeah, and it makes you also wonder if this tactic is, or one, it makes you wonder if there's some financial problems there that are pretty bad, which could put the merger in some context. The flip side of that, even if that's not the issue, you start wondering if this is the almost like the private equity situation where in the hopes of getting bought, they're going to slash everything uh, to make it look like 
the firm's making more money than it actually is in order to right. you know sweeten the pot. Because that saved money would then become profits for the partners and profits per or partner. It would just, or it would just look better for Hogan Lovells. Mm-hmm. On the pay, Hogan Lovells will look at it and go, oh, well, you made this much revenue this year, even though you know once they're Hogan Lovells, they would not have made that much because they would have had to pay a bunch of people the amounts that Sherman said they were and now aren't. All of that becomes key to the context around this, I think. I think you're absolutely right. I think it's it's really interesting and certainly not the only firm that we heard about sort of nickeling and diming. So the other story we heard was more the, the happy version of the story, which is the Foley Hoag also introduced a new hourly requirement and then introduced that they were not giving full bonuses. They were meeting the bonus the market bonus, but only to people who met this new hours requirement, which was supposed to take effect for next year, but they decided to retroactively apply to this year. And then the people who met what they all they already had an hours bo- an hours requirement, but the people who met the hours requirement that they thought they had to meet for this year would be receiving you know twenty percent less. The good news about this, though, is that uh, the associates raised this concern. <laughs> this seems wildly unfair. <laughs> said that this was not particularly fair to uh, change the goalposts at the last second. Mm-hmm. And the firm, after two days, changed, went back, yeah. said, you know, you're right. You know, when we look at what we told you, we told you one target. We shouldn't change that. The new target is in effect for next year, but we will abide by the original target for this year, which is which is nice. Uh, but it does still leave you saying, why were they doing that? Yeah. And and I think this is all the same kind of questions that we have about the industry kind of moving forward into 2023. What what is the impact of the anticipated recession going to be? You know, if they're if they almost impose that hours requirement in 2022, then certainly they're going to be very big sticklers about it in 2023. So there's not like a oh you know close enough or whatever. I think you have to be very careful if you're at that firm to make sure that you have plenty of hours that they're all the right kind of hours. But I think that that this all kind of goes hand in hand with what we're seeing a lot of firms doing right now. I, I don't know. I, I remain one of those folks who thinks that the recession fears are ridiculous to to cite as a reason for dropping out. I think that we've not, you know, we've seen we saw a dip and now we've seen growth uh, the last couple of quarters. Uh, the inflationary fears have, are dwindling no matter how much the Fed wants to keep pushing. I, I think that outside of certain sectors, clearly the tech sector has taken a real hit over the last year. Mm -hmm. But outside of certain sectors, I don't know as though things are going to be all that bad. So I think it's overreacting to start slashing people's bonuses over it. But anyway, it's something to monitor. Uh, If you're hearing from anybody out there uh, that there are shenanigans going on with people's bonuses, uh, let us know. Uh, We will keep it anonymous. But you know, sometimes it's important because some of these firms get away with this by making it an isolating event, by telling you individually that for some reason you, you did didn't get. Yeah. And when they do that, they are mm-hmm. doing it for the purposes of making sure that you feel too embarrassed to talk about it to anybody. And that way they can get away with it 
with everybody. So mm-hmm. by and, all means. And yeah. I, I will say, I do not think it's only these two firms. Mm-hmm. We have heard unconfirmed, but sort of rumblings from a couple of other firms that maybe policies that were always in effect all of a sudden are being implemented <laughs> in a way that they haven't previously, whether it be your uh hours, how, how quickly you log your hours into, you know, the time system or other policies that all of a sudden, you know, they took kind of a, you know, a big picture, broad eye towards these policies. And now this year it's, oh, you were 10 hours late. That's going to be a deduction. I mean, we've also already heard that ropes is mm-hmm. pulling some, you insu- you were insufficiently in the office this year, right? Uh, which you know, they have a office policy. It is not something that had been tied to one's bonus, and they're using it that way. Which, yeah. you know, gets to a philosophical question, which is, you know, and this is one that w- there have been articles where we pushed back uh, that have been in law.com and stuff over the years, but it's a bonus. So, you know, are associates really entitled to it? Can it just discretionarily be, oh, well, we've decided you weren't in the office enough, so you aren't getting a bonus? And, while it's called a bonus, uh, and that seems to be something that's discretionary, it it doesn't function that way in this industry. It really is something that associates depend upon as part of their compensation. They are budgeting around that for the purposes of paying off the giant loans that they have. Like it is really ridiculous to try and pull the rug out from under them because this really is just. Yeah, I mean, this is definitely a Christmas vacation uh, (laughs) sort of situation here. And the other thing is, can is different than should. Can they do it? Probably, right? I don't think there's any real problem with it legally. Should they do it, particularly when you know that these firms are in competition for things like talent, for clients, and Mm. as part of their overall reputation in the industry, I don't know that getting the reputation as being the the firm that's going to sort of nickel and dime, be very tight on bonuses is one you want to cultivate. Right. Which, you know, also plays into the first story here, which is that, uh, you know, it, it can give the firm a bad name. Now, what mm-hmm. does that mean when you know, when we put together Hogan Levels and Sherman Sterling and they become a new firm called Hogan Levels. uh, (laughs) Because let's let's be honest, uh, there's no real worry about the Sherman name. Uh, But yeah, anyway. Calidus AI cleverly supports you by suggesting relevant law to address your complex issues. Put in simple questions or longer fact patterns, then Calidus asks you to confirm if points are salient before proceeding. Use Calidus to check if you found all the key concepts, cases, and statutes. Calidus turns that into a high-quality, customer-ready document. Handle complexity confidently with Legal's most advanced AI platform. Get $90 off your first two months. Use promo code Joe at CalidusAI.com. That's C-A-L-L-I-D-U-S-A-I.com. Hey, Guy, what's up? Just having some lunch, Conrad. Hey, Guy, do you see that billboard out there? Oh, you mean that guy out there in the gray suit? Yeah, the gray suit guy. Order up. There's uh, all those beautiful, rich, leather-bound books in the background. That is exactly the one. That's J.D. McGuffin at Law. He'll fight for you! I bet you he has got so many years of experience. Like decades and decades. And I bet, Guy, I bet he even went 
to a law school. Are you a lawyer? Do you suffer from dull marketing and a lack of positioning in a crowded legal marketplace? Sit down with Guy and Conrad for Lunch Hour Legal Marketing on the Legal Talk Network, available wherever podcasts are found. Would you want to know what it actually makes cutting your bonuses in the way that we just talked about actually look good? Mm. Cutting your salary. Ooh, okay. What's going on there? Nelson Mullins is uh, changing the way that they calculate all attorney compensation, but this also applies to associates um, and counsel, which I think makes it particularly problematic. They are going to create a compensation system for 2023 that includes a fixed component, which is, you know, how salaries generally work in big law, but also include an earn-up component that is based on collection goals. So you may bill a bajillion hours, but if the clients you happen to be assigned to work for don't pay, you will not get your full salary. Oh, that sucks, kneecaps. Yeah, Mm. yeah, especially because associates have no control over whether or not, first of all, what cases they get, right? And if there's just a big case and it, you don't even necessarily know whether or not that client has a reputation for paying its bills on time. Mm-hmm. But you have to do that work. Otherwise, you get a bad reputation at the firm. But your salary is the one that's potentially impacted. You also have no ability. You have no client contacts as a junior associate to call them up and be like, hey, Bill, please pay your bill. Right. That's wild. Probably um, should have given him a different name. I probably but, should have. But Bill yeah. was on my mind when I started. You uh, know, I understand. Yeah. I mean, whatever. You get you get what I, I'm I saying. I think it here. was fine. I think it's OK. <laughs> Okay, thanks. Yeah, so it's functionally, for a lot of associates at the firm, a decrease in their base compensation. That feels like a way to get rid of the associates you don't like without having to deal with discrimination claims. <laughs> well, like, that, he, like I the mean, people you don't like, just just assign them the cases that don't do well. And they're like, oh, well, sorry, it's the policy. Yeah, I mean, that, I think that certainly might be true for uh, clients that have a reputation that precedes them in this way. But Sometimes you don't know when or it's a newer client that doesn't have a long paying history at the firm. I mean, well, and if you're depending on practice area, there's no way you can know. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like one of the jokes I always tell when people are like talking about partners and their book of business they bring with them. You know, I worked in white collar. And if you're a criminal lawyer who has a book of business, then you're a mob lawyer uh, because you should not have a book of business or, or there's some there's a real problem if you have a book of business. But that me of that what that really means is as as somebody in that work, your clients are not hopefully repeat customers. You're always getting new people uh, and new institutions. Now, sometimes it's not really like that. Sometimes you get a lot of clients who have, especially in the white collar world, who have insurance carriers covering the expenses. So the carriers are who you deal with, and those folks are, you know, repeat. But they're not necessarily predictables for the book of business purposes. But at least you you know what you're dealing with when you're asking Lloyd's to pay your bills. Mm-hmm. But with these other situations where it's just like some rich person who has a legal kerfuffle. You don't necessarily know. You can get all the way through a trial and, and not know all those hours, right? Well, and then key with trials is you you run up most of the. I mean, there are, it goes up like this. Like mm-hmm. you run up most of your expenses in that last month or so of trials, and if they pay dutifully up to the end and then screw you, you have a claim to go get that money. But all the associates are stuck not making their 
paying their bills this year because the partner wasn't keeping on top of the client. You're 100% right. But also, this is the difference between being an associate and a partner, right? When you are a partner at a firm, you are, yes, taking the risk that clients may not pay, but you are also reaping the rewards. Mm -hmm. You don't necessarily have a clear fixed salary because it depends on billables and the profitability of the firm for a year and a very complex formula, which is all well and great, but that means you have, you know, there's a risk reward kind of balancing act that's going on that you're aware of when you pay in to become a partner at the firm. When you're an associate, first of all, changing it, you know, these people have been working at the firm a few years, you know, associates, they've never had to take on that level of risk before. I think it's wildly unfair to all of a sudden say, now you are responsible for the risk that the firm takes on, but there's no chance you will get any of the reward if we have a particularly good year. Right. Well, and it strikes me as a staffing issue too. If I'm an associate, I start figuring out who has the who has the sweetheart client that always pays? And I turn down work other than for mm-hmm. the good ones. And like that's, that's no good for anybody either. It's a real mess. Do you think that this is a way of uh, outsourcing risk that other firms would adopt? Well, certainly this is the only firm we've heard taking on that approach for 2023. Nelson Mullins previously did this during the height of COVID. So in 2020, they announced it. And at the time, they said that 9% of the associate's salary was dependent on these collections. They have not yet, um, or we are not aware of what percentage at this point it'll be for associates in 2023. But it did not become sort of a widespread thing in 2020, I would hope that other firms kind of hold the line here as well. But again, this is the first firm we're here, big law firm. This is, listen, this is a top 70 law firm. This is not a regional firm that is, you know, worrying about keeping the lights on. This is a mm-hmm. n- national giant firm. And I think it's a bad way to do business. Mm-hmm. The other big law story that I think we, need to talk about is Proskauer. Mm-hmm. They, uh, last week, and you know, no, not a ton of people are paying attention to the intricacies of big law politic between Christmas and New Year's, but uh, that is exactly when Proskauer filed a lawsuit against its fired chief operating officer. Right. Now, this chief, from what I gather, this chief operating officer had well, you say fired, which I, I believe is accurate, though he was quitting yes. was the issue. He was in the process of quitting. He'd announced he was quitting, mm-hmm. at which point, and this is the part that I actually think is the most fascinating part of it. Uh, he he had taken a lot of files, proprietary files from the firm, mm-hmm. which he had downloaded within the 30 days before telling the firm, hey, I'm leaving. Yeah, so apparently at the firm, when someone announces they're leaving the firm, the especially a high-level executive, the firm does a completely standard IT evaluation as to you know if any suspicious activity has happened on that person's computer. And they found out that on December 5th and December 16th, the former COO, Jonathan O'Brien, had made two large downloads of proprietary information. Right. So what gets me about this is how does the chief operating officer not know that there's a 30-day <laughs> IT look back? <laughs> Seems as I'm wondering how that place was operating this whole time. That, because, so goofy. 
I'm just I mean, there's like a Mission Impossible soundtrack, and he's like, they'll never catch this. <laughs> I mean, one would think the COO would be in the position to understand that you need to do that stuff 31 days before you announce <laughs> you're leaving. Yeah, it, it's wild. That is not legal and, advice? No, <laughs> it is not. <laughs> and again, different firms have different policies, and you might imagine Proskauer may even tighten theirs in the future. Uh but still, something a COO would know. You would think. Uh, again, I don't. <laughs> like, I'm I putting aside. Look, you're absolutely right. This is wrong no matter what. I, I'm just saying, I, I just stare at this and wonder what he felt his job was this whole time if it was not understanding the operations of the firm. <laughs> it is literally in his name. If any of the listeners ever needed a better uh, indication that Joe worked in a uh, white collar crime, this is it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like yeah. his first comment wasn't, yo, this is unethical. His first comment was, dude, do it three days earlier. <laughs> <laughs> and it's interesting because the firm, the complaint alleges that um, O'Brien could potentially use this information either at a competitor firm, at a consultant agency for the legal industry. And that sort of brings up the question, where is he going to go work? Because he had, you know, put in his two-week notice at that point. And, and after that is when they the board voted to, to let him go. But the thing is, they won't, he won't tell firm leaders where he's going. Uh, after being repeatedly asked what his future employment plans were, he refused to answer and only told leaders that they would be, quote, mad when they heard where he was going. Yeah, so the, the lawsuit's basically that he took trade secrets, mm -hmm. uh, which, I mean, I don't know. There's a large part of me, like, it's not good, but a large part of me wonders to what extent the law firm world really has trade secrets. Is it like they're just giving their client their clients the real law? Everybody else gets well, that? No, but part of what is alleged that it was taken is the way that partner compensation is calculated, right. which obviously uh, potentially leaves the firm open to other places using that formula to target certain partners for poaching. It's certain there, there's a lot of information I think in these downloads that that's alleged. I mean, I think that's true. My only my only thought on that front is how much of that stuff isn't coming out anyway uh like you know when you talk to a partner about potentially moving you know they're they're fairly open about what they're making uh you know if they're serious about moving they're reasonably open about knowing where they are within the firm structure they know how things are functioning usually they're leaving because they're willing to tell you that they have a problem with the way in which the firm compensates people so after a couple of phone calls this is all stuff that most people kind of have a sense of so that's why i was i still think that a competitor or some kind of a consultant agency having access to not just how partner x is compensated but telling partner x clearly how they compare to partner y and partner z yeah. and i think that there's there's a lot and let's be clear there's also allegations in the complaint i don't want to forget this part that uh, o'brien tried to delete uh 2000ish emails that were subject to a litigation hold. Yeah, which, you know, you That's should definitely not no only you should not do uh, it. That actually raised another issue for me, which is how in the world. And maybe this is how it was stopped, that they do. have. Right. Some it was just other, an attempt. It wasn't done. And there right. were other folks at the firm that the firm says participated in his attempt. Yeah. See, it, all litigation holds like we talk about this all the time in the legal tech world, like 
everybody's catching up with the idea that litigation holds are something that needs to be centralized and handled mm -hmm. by software so that you don't have the ability to screw things up. Right, um, and apparently it was done that way, and that was how they found how this so. out, but he attempted to undo those centralized regulations mm -hmm, mm -hmm. through various things. Well, all right. That, those are the, certainly the allegations, and, and it, I think it'll be an interesting case to continue to follow. Yeah, I agree. Cool. Well, that was a lot of big law stories. It was. It was a big law, heavy beginning to the year. So with that said, thanks everybody for listening. You should be subscribed to the show so you get new episodes when they come down. You should give reviews, write something, give stars. They all help. You should be following us on social media. Uh, Above the Law is at ATL Blog. I'm at Joseph Patrice. She's at Catherine One, the numeral one. Chris is at Rights for Rent. All of that is Twitter, which is still primary at this point, but we have other channels that you can generally find us on too. You should be listening to The Jabot, Catherine's other show. I'm a guest on the Legal Tech Week Journalists Roundtable. You should be listening to the other offerings of the Legal Talk Network. Be sure to read Above the Law so you see the, you know, read these and other stories before we talk about them here. And with all that said, I Peace. think we're done. Peace. If you're a lawyer running a solo or small firm and you're looking for other lawyers to talk through issues you're currently facing in your practice, join the Unbillable Hours Community Roundtable, a free virtual event on the third Thursday of every month. Lawyers from all over the country come together and meet with me, lawyer and law firm management consultant Christopher T. Anderson, to discuss best practices on topics such as marketing, client acquisition, hiring and firing, and time management. The conversation is free to join, but requires a simple reservation. The link to RSVP can be found on the unbillable hour page at LegalTalkNetwork.com. We'll see you there.